Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Your forest looks like a graveyard. That was the humble reminder I received this week that perhaps I'm not quite as good at Christmas decorations as I'd like to think I was in my mind. See, I had this vision that our front planner could be interspersed with little pathway Christmas trees and candy canes, have red and white lights going around, and you'd have this wonderful little candy cane forest. But by the time I got all the cords plugged in, finally got everything routed the right way, plugged it into the outlet, well, I went outside and the trees were toppled over. A couple of the candy canes didn't exactly light up. There weren't enough lights around the path, and my candy cane forest looked like a candy cane graveyard. Sometimes the, the grand vision that we have in our mind doesn't match the true picture of reality that presents itself before us. In September of 1948, construction began on a new building in Manhattan, right on First Avenue. And this building had some very lofty ambitions. It was tasked with rebuilding the proverbial forest from the literal graveyards that were strewn across Europe, Asia, Africa. It was the United Nations headquarter building, established to be the one place where the world's nations can gather together, discuss common problems, and find shared solutions. And in that same year, 1948, in honor of that building being built right across the street, right across First Avenue, a park was dedicated in its honor. And at that park, a granite wall was put up, bearing the words of our Old Testament reading from the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 2, verse 4, they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And every September since 1952, in the completion of that headquarters, all the delegates from 193 countries, when they come to the General Assembly, pass by that park, pass by that wall, pass by these words. And at first glance, you might think, well, well that's nice. I mean, it is a, a Bible verse. <laughs> there are a lot worse things that could pass by, couldn't they? The truth becomes a little bit uglier. See, that verse was intentionally separated from its author, from its context, from who and what it was all about. So much so that it was almost 30 years later before the name Isaiah even got put next to the quotation. And you begin to realize that it was quite intentionally separated from its author. Twisted, intended, so that the delegates who passed by on their way to the United Nations thought that the peace, the harmony, the glorious vision of the future that we see in Isaiah 2 was being fulfilled by them. And the peace and the harmony, the diplomacy that they negotiated within those walls. And all of a sudden, that wall paints a much uglier picture of the foolishness of human sinful pride, the ability for man to try and prop up his own accomplishments. And don't get me wrong, the reading from Isaiah does paint a truly beautiful picture. We read it again that in the latter days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, shall be lifted up above the hills. All the nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For from Zion will go forth the law, from Jerusalem the word of the Lord. 
And the Lord shall judge between nations, decide disputes, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Their instruments of, of warfare and of conflict, of division, will instead become instruments of growth and of agriculture. A nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war or conflict anymore. Come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. When you consider the context of what Isaiah is talking about, and then you once more think of that wall, you realize the foolish pride of man knows no bounds. As if a bunch of diplomats in a building in New York City could produce the sort of picture that Isaiah paints in Isaiah chapter 2. And is so often the case, as man begins to promote his own lofty ambitions, as the temptation of arrogance enters one's heart, when one's eyes begin to look upon the gaze of pride, those hands, those hearts, those eyes start to turn away from the one who should be exalted, the one who should be cherished, the one for whom we do await this Advent season. But before we just rip on the UN for too long, we should be reminded that even in Isaiah's day, this was an issue. It's nothing new that man is, is prideful and sinfully so. The people of Judah in Isaiah's day knew more than just a little bit about sinful pride. Even after this beautiful picture is painted in Isaiah 2, the rest of the chapter is God detailing just where the honor and the praise, where the hopes and the comforts of Israel and of Judah have been placed in recent days. Saying that the house of Jacob, instead of walking in the light of the Lord, filled their land with silver and gold that they sought no end to their earthly treasures, that they had plenty of horses so much so that there were no end to the number of chariots, and that the men of Judah were filled with haughtiness, lofty thoughts of themselves and their accomplishments, that their pride was in the work of their hands and their houses no longer served the Lord but instead became houses of idolatry, that they now bowed down, even in their perceived success, to idols, to what their own fingers had made. And so through the prophet Isaiah, the Lord speaks to Judah, speaks to those who would prop up their accomplishments, who would seek to have pride so much so that it would take them away from God himself. And he says to them, I'm going to make a graveyard out of your forest, quite literally. Starting in Isaiah 2, verse 12, we read, For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, it shall be brought low, against the cedars of Lebanon, against the oaks of Bashan, against the lofty, the haughtiness of man, shall be humbled. And the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. God uses a forest, cedars, oaks, to describe the pride, the sinful pride of his people. See, in those days, the cedars of Lebanon, the oaks of Bashan, were seen as symbols of strength. To have forest of cedars of Lebanon would be an incredibly powerful image. And yet, later on in Isaiah 3, God says that he comes for those forests of their sinful hearts. That the things we craft as visions of hope, visions of success, visions of gain, visions of comfort, well, they will pass away on that day. 
that what was perfume will become rotten, that what was an ornate belt would become just a lowly rope, that instead of well-dressed hair, there would be only baldness, instead of fine linens and a fine robe, there would be just sackcloth, that the mighty would fall, and that all there would be left to do for those who were unrepentant would be to cry out and say, take away our reproach. Doesn't exactly paint a picture of a very merry Christmas, does it, this time of year? And yet, what we read of in Isaiah 2, Isaiah 3, and even going into Isaiah 4, is not just about Judah. It's not just about some wall in New York City. No, it applies to us as well. See, these three chapters of Isaiah paint a contrast between the Israel, the type of people that God desires for us to be, contrasted with the sinful reality of who we so often are. What starts out as a glorious vision of what Israel's ultimate hope and comfort would look like quickly becomes terror and desolation in the face of the reality of their sinful lives. The vision didn't quite match the reality in that day. And it's no different for us, especially this time of year. This time of year where we do so much to make that vision craft into the perfect holiday season, where we make sure we send out those picturesque Christmas cards where everyone is smiling just perfect, host immaculate parties, receptions, even make sure we get just the right gift for the right person that they just absolutely need. Even the fact that we gather as friends and family this time of year can be little more than just a, a momentary reprieve, a momentary reprieve to what is a much uglier picture. That just as God uses the imagery of cedars and oaks to emulate the pride of a sinful people, well, we too are no strangers of crafting our own forest of sin. And you think about all the things we do this time of year, how that family photo may look great, but it doesn't show the real relational strife and conflict that exists between a husband and a wife. That gift may be joyously received, but it only accentuates the jealousy that may be had amongst siblings. That perfect Christmas dinner with all the family gathered together around one table doesn't tell you that half of them can't stand each other. And all of a sudden, the, the picture that we see becomes a little bit closer to that ugly truth that exists because we, too, are sinful. We, too, in our sin, have built forest of those sin, built those sort of cedars and oaks, the things we'd like to put our hope, our comfort, our trust in, even at times over and against God himself. And because of our, our sin, we are not only being foolish, but we have placed ourselves in conflict with God. And that conflict means that those forests that we, we prop up in our lives, well, ultimately they are quite literally our graveyard. As St. Paul would remind us, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. And yet, once more, that vision does not match the picture of reality that God has done 
for us. That vision of desolation that Isaiah describes in the back half of Isaiah chapter 2 does not match the picture of reality of what God has done for us and what Christ has won for us. Now, Isaiah didn't just stop with doom and gloom. No, in Isaiah chapter 4, the almost entire chapter is dedicated to those who do trust in the Lord. Saying that in that day, that same day of desolation, that same day where the lofty, the haughty, the prideful will be brought low. In that same day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious. The fruit of the land shall be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. That he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Will be called children of God recorded for life in Jerusalem. When the Lord washed away their filth and cleansed their bloodstains. See, it matters not, this holiday season, how picturesque or painful things turn out. How glorious or grim our celebrations, our Christmas cards, our Christmas cookies, our Christmas decorations may be. It does not matter how merry or even at times how miserable the next month is. Because the UN did have one thing right. There is one place where the world's nations, all people can gather, where they come together with the problem, a very common problem, the only problem that truly matters. And at that place, they find the one solution for that problem. But that place is not a building off First Avenue in Manhattan. No, that place is the foot of the cross. That place is going to the one who would come and who is going to come again. We are in an advent. We're in the advent of Christ's second coming. You could even say, in a sense, we are in the waiting game for the moment, just like the people of Judah were in Isaiah's day. And we do look out at the world, and we don't see at this moment all the nations flowing to the mountain of the house of the Lord. We don't see an end to the conflict, the division, the warfare, the death, the violence in our world. And then we look at ourselves and, well, we can't help but also see the conflict, the anxiety, the stress, the frustration, the hurt, the heartache, the sin that runs through us each and every day. And yet we are reminded that we are to look to the Lord, celebrate the very thing that he began upon Christ's first advent and the thing he will bring to completion in his second advent. We are to look with anticipation, not fear or dread, to that day when he returns, where the nations of the world, all Christians, all those who would trust in God for their salvation, no matter how sinful they may be, would flow to the mountain of the house of the Lord, live in the righteousness of his ways, at this Advent, we can look forward to that day when our Savior, Christ himself, will call to us and say, Come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.